Hello, good evening, and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. I'm talking to investigative journalist John McAvoy this evening, who's been poring over declassified documents that reveal the extent of Britain's shameful support for the brutal Pinochet dictatorship in Chile. Ted Heath's Tory government quickly recognised the Pinochet regime after Chile's democratically elected socialist president was overthrown in a bloody coup in 1973. Before that, though, the British Foreign Office established a secretive propaganda unit in the early 1960s to prevent the socialist Salvador Allende winning the presidency. Now, this unit was known as the uh, Information Research Department. But despite the best endeavours, Allende did win power in a democratic election in 1970. When Allende's administration was overthrown on September the 11th, 1973, torture and murder were integral to the ruthless repression that the Pinochet regime imposed. And this monster was described by Margaret Thatcher as a staunch friend of Britain. So, John, you've been pouring over these documents. Tell us a bit more about what you've uh, discovered. Yeah, of course. And cheers for having me this evening, Chris. Um, yeah, it's yeah, good to have you, mate. I mean, what you said about, um, about Thatcher's words about Pinochet, that he was a staunch, true friend of Britain, um, those words have, have pretty much... Um, uh, been used to explain Britain's relationship with Chile, but this is mostly in the post-coup uh, period. I mean, the Edward Heath government uh, that was that was in power between 1970 and 1974, uh, they rushed to recognise Pinochet as soon as he'd, uh, he'd, he'd uh, came to power via the bloody coup that you mentioned. Uh, the British ambassador in Chile um, was absolutely delighted with the state of affairs. Said that this is going to be uh, this is going to be wa uh, warmly welcomed by British commercial interests, um, and that Britain can basically breathe a sigh of relief now that Allende is gone, um, albeit um, supposedly committed suicide, perhaps murdered. We we probably won't know. Um, mm -hmm. However, what is not known about British foreign policy towards Chile during the 1960s and 1970s, uh, 1980s, 1990s as well. Um, is that Britain was actually involved uh, in kind of creating the conditions for the coup against Salvador Allende during the 1960s. Um, so this, I mean, this began more or less in 1962. Um, Britain was kind of looking to Latin America in, in more strategic terms than was previously understood. I mean, the, the Cuban revolution had just happened in 1959. Uh, the U.S. had been totally, totally humiliated at the Bay of Pigs in 1961. Um, and, uh, I mean, America had lost a number of important allies, uh, dicta dictatorial allies. Um, I believe five different dictatorial governments had fallen over the past five years as well. So in this period, you're seeing kind of a, a heightening of Cold War tensions in Latin America. And you, in parallel terms, you see in Salvador Allende in Chile, is becoming more and more powerful, uh, sorry, more and more popular. Um, in 1964, uh, his uh, FRAP, um, uh, left-wing coalition, wins a by-election, which really uh, scares mm -hmm. uh, British diplomats. And it's also putting striking fear into the heart of the Foreign Office more widely. Um, so between 1964 and 1970, as you mentioned, this secret, secretive propaganda unit that wasn't revealed until 1978, um, it existed, in fact, since 1948, um, called the Information Research Department. And what the IRD was, was an internal unit within the British Foreign Office that was basically charged with um, creating different forms of propaganda, 
and uh, and and distributing this propaganda through influential mediums uh, through the church in Latin America, for example, through uh, friendly trade unions, through politicians, through um, influential journalists, uh, and using these influential figures to further British foreign policy objectives. So what this entailed in Chile between 1964 and 1970 was basically using uh, similar influential figures that the US uh, State Department, as, as well as the CIA, were using uh, in order to <clears throat> basically delegitimize Allende, present him <clears throat> as um, you know, uh, uh, the second coming of Castro, who's going to take some form of a, you know, a authoritarian power in Chile, who's going to cause economic ruin. Um, so this, this was the kind of main objective uh, of the British foreign, foreign Office at the time. Um, I mean, in 1964, there was, a, there was a general election that Allende lost, and the, the IRD saw this in kind of triumph, triumphalist terms. They thought, you know, we've got a propaganda victory to press home here. We can spend the next, uh, well, the coming years basically pressing home that Chile has elected a more moderate uh, politician in the form of uh, Christian Democrat Eduardo Fry. And for the next six years, uh, we can basically push home that reform without revolution is the means uh, of achieving a British-favoured stability in Chile. Um, towards the end of the 1960s, as, as we now know, uh, Allende was looking close, like he was getting closer and closer to power in Chile. And that meant that the IRD actually in increased its operations uh, quite significantly. And in this, in this late 1960s period, especially 1968, 1969, you see the IRD openly discussing efforts to prevent Allende. And this is quite rare in Latin America as a region in this period. But you see British officials openly mm. discussing efforts to prevent Allende from gaining power. Um, as we now know, in 1970, Allende won the presidential election. Um, and this, I mean, his, his electoral victory presented a major shock um, and a major threat to Britain and, as, and of course, and to the US as well. Uh, the, the domestic uh, economic reforms that Allende implemented uh, he he nationalised uh, all of the foreign and domestically owned copper mines. Now Chile at the time, its major export was copper. Um, uh, nationalised ninety percent of the banks. Uh, broke up all of the major the major farming estates, the latifundios, um, and began to to give to to provide workers control over industry as well. So we're talking about an actual structural change of the domestic uh, economic system in Chile. Um, and this was broadly popular. Mm. I mean, despite despite um, Allende winning um, by a small margin in 1970, and despite the, the initiation from very early on of US economic wrecking measures that tried to, uh, to isolate the Chile's economy, as well as uh, domestic sabotage in numerous different forms, um, Allende's economic measures uh, and, and program was widely popular, and in by-elections later, his popularity continued to increase. Um, and of course, this—I mm. mean, even even Britain's Joint Intelligence Committee recognised that you know economic uh, disparity in Chile was massive before Allende was elected. Uh, that there were real uh, reasons for socio-economic malaise. Um, and that something what uh, something uh, that Chile had reached some form of breaking point in terms of uh, social and economic inequality. And um, so even Britain is recognising that the social programme that he's trying to prevent was to some degree necessary 
and was to some degree inevitable given the massive inequalities in Chile. Nonetheless, once Allende is elected, Britain continues trying to undermine him um, and continues organising, in fact, with the US State Department. And I mean, uh, as, as you well know, as many of the listeners will well know, uh, the US's wrecking operations in Chile are well known. And they funded the, the major right-wing uh, uh, newspaper, El Mercurio, with something like $8 million um, to try and, you know, uh, spring uh, propaganda operations against Allende. Um, tried to, uh, as we're seeing in Venezuela at the moment, tried to economically as- asphyxiate the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and Britain, to some degree, collaborated with these, these operations of the United States, um, including assisting a CIA front organization called uh, Forum World Features, um, which came, uh, which arrived in Chile and wanted to do a special feature, a special propagandistic feature um, about Allende's inauguration process. And these got in contact, um, Forum World Features got in contact with the IRD, who got in contact with the British Foreign Secretary, uh, Douglas Home at the time. So, you know, we've got evidence here that, mm. that these operations, uh, including propaganda operations against an elected president in Chile, as well as propaganda operations in cahoots with the CIA and the US State Departments, were being permitted at the highest levels of government um, in Britain, going, going as far as the British Foreign Office um, and most likely uh, the British Prime Minister um, at the time, um, Heath, yeah. uh, was, was, very, was very well aware of it. And although there is no current evidence to show that the, the Labour government of Harold Wilson between 1964 and 1970 uh, was aware of what was going on in Chile in terms of the IRD, um, it would be difficult to, it would be difficult to, to, to judge that Wilson uh, does not bear a, a heavy amount of responsibility for the propaganda campaign against AMD mm-hmm. before he was elected. Um, and I think that point is that point mm. is quite important because, uh, as as many people will know, once the Labour gov- once Wilson's se- sorry third government uh, came to power in 1974, and the later Callaghan government, both Labour governments, um, it's widely seen as uh, it's quite a cherished period of British foreign policy, especially within the Labour movement. Um, the these governments suspended uh, arms sales to Chile. Uh, the ambassador in Santiago was removed. Mm. Um, you know, the Labour governments in general seemed very uh, lenient to, to pressure in order to, to adopt a more ethical foreign policy with regards to Chile. And, and, uh, and of course, a lot of Chilean refugees were admitted mm. to Britain. And of course, all of these measures have to be, um, have to be commended. However, it was during, the, the, during Wilson, the Labour government's first, um, sorry, the first Wilson government, that this propaganda operation in order to prevent a socialist from gaining power in a, in a major Latin American country with long-standing ties to Britain was initiated. Um, so I think we have to look at, look at the Wilson government in a, a totally new light. Um, and we have to look at, we have, we have to remind ourselves as well that Labour foreign policy is not, is certainly not um, consistent with what we know of Jeremy Corbyn's internationalism. Uh, he was, if anything, the exception no. and not the rule. Um, so just to sum up, um, sorry, just to add one final one final point. Um, during, during 1973 and 1974, in response to the coup, uh, a major solidarity movement was initiated in Britain, the Chile Solidarity Committee or the Chile Solidarity Campaign, 
uh, interchangeably known. Um, and you know, this was probably the most uh, the most prominent, and the most uh, uh, the most effective proper uh, sorry most effective uh, solidarity movement with regards to Latin America in you know, at least a lot probably ever. Um, and mm. this this movement was actually effectively spied on because the IRD did not just function function globally. Um, it also had a domestic uh, domestic arm that was basically in charge of gathering information on uh, domestic solidarity uh, or human rights organisations um, that were not that, that were operating ways that were not useful to British foreign policy. And yeah, based on documents that I've obtained uh, under the Freedom of Information Act, the IRD was also gathering a lot of intelligence on the Chile Solidarity campaign. Um, which, which mm. is a quite, a, which is quite a rare instance. I mean, we know, uh, as you all well know as well, that a lot of um, a lot uh, there was a lot of espionage on Palestine solidarity organisations, on anti-apartheid um, organisations. We've got we've got South Africa at the time, um, and a lot uh, there's a lot of intelligence gathered on Black Power and and, and different forms of um, anti-racist movements. Well, very little is known about the type of uh, domestic surveillance of Latin American solidarity movements. Mm. So this also shines, shines a light on mm. how, you know, um, accompanying British foreign policy in Chile, which which contributed to the coup and the destabilization of Chilean democracy. Um, there was also uh, uh, attacks on democracy within Britain as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think this was a a rogue element within the British Foreign Office? I mean, we you know we talked about the uh, initial Wilson government, sixty four to seventy. Could they have operated? Do you think without ministerial approval? I mean, because obviously Wilson himself talked about uh, a plot by the uh, Secret Service to overthrow his administration. So. Uh, I guess nothing's beyond them, but any evidence of that at all, or that, that there was ministerial collaboration, or that this was a, sort of a, a rogue outfit that was doing going off piste, as it were, without ministerial approval? Um, with regards to the first Wilson government, uh, in the declassified files that I've currently seen, the the level to the level of ministerial control over what the IRD is doing seems to be minimal. Um, however, the IRD's operations and the IRD's raison d'être, which was um, basically to contain um, socialist movements worldwide and to assist uh, anti-communist movements worldwide. They were very much aware of the existence of this unit um, what, what what its purpose was. Um, and so I don't think there can be little surprises on the part of any, any high-level high elected official such as Wilson uh, that he wouldn't have been aware to some degree or at least could not have assumed what, what was going on. Um, although he, what, what he do, about the... Sorry, I was going to say, what about the rest of the cabinet, John? I mean, because there was some very socialists in the uh, cabinet at that time, unlike today. Uh, you know, people like Tony Benn, uh, Michael Foot. Uh, you know, these these are kind of seen as iconic uh, Labour uh, Party socialist figures. Uh, would they have been aware? Because I mean, it's, it's quite shocking if they were. I mean, given given Tony Benn's record. Uh, on criticising British foreign policy, I'd be very much surprised if Tony Benn was aware. Um, I think, mm. I mean, the IRD, mm. the IRD functioned in a lot of senses in a similar way to to, to MI6. Um, it didn't exist on the open vote, as in M MPs could not vote um, 
for for its budget basically existed on a secret vote, meaning that it basically totally bypassed Parliament. So the only people that were aware of its existence would have been ambassadors within its areas of of operation, um, diplomats, mm-hmm. and foreign officer, uh, high, mostly high end foreign office officials uh, would have actually known that it existed. Um, I mean, the, its existence was only revealed one. What this was a massive operation, but its existence was only revealed a year after it was closed down altogether. Um, and I think right. I think you raised a good point as well with regards to the plot against Wilson, um, because I mean, it, this does this does show that there are tensions um, between elected officials and um, and the diplomatic corps. So I mean, the, as you know, the diplomatic corps, ambassadors, or people functioning in embassies. Um, information officers, such as people working in the IRD, they're not elected. Um, they're not. They come from a certain. They typically come from a certain social class background. Uh, so we're talking about the mm. the British elite that, that that traveled through Oxbridge straight into the diplomatic service. Uh, probably had parents who functioned in, in in diplomacy as well. So you're talking about people who come from a certain um, a certain a certain social class background, and you can see the tension between the Foreign Office and the Diplomatic Corps and elected officials during the, 19, the late 1970s when Wilson and Callaghan actually changed British policy, policy towards uh, Wilson. So when they actually tried to enforce an mm. arms embargo, for example, there came into uh, a lot of resistance from the Diplomatic Corps who basically wanted to continue arms sales, uh, continue relations that would be cordial for British business. Um, so you, do, you definitely do have tension between elected officials uh, like Wilson. And, and as you say, with the Wilson plot, uh, one of the key figures in the Wilson plot was a man called Brian Crozier. Um, Brian Crozier mm. was a was quite a colourful character. Um, he was he was very much involved uh, both in the plot against Wilson um, when there was a, a supposed coup being uh, being planned against Wilson by the likes of uh, MI5, certain rogue, supposedly rogue elements of MI5, um, Lord Mountbatten as well, for example. But one of those who was actually mm-hmm. involved in this plot, Brian Crozier, he was also very much involved in the IRD operation in Latin America. Um, he was frequently mm-hmm. contracted by IRD to write articles uh, in support of the Brazilian coup, for example. Uh, he was also present in Chile to the extent that in his own memoirs and whether this, to the extent to which this is accurate or not is, is up for debate. But in his own memoirs, he says he, he drafted uh, roughly ninety percent of Pinochet's uh, constitution. So he was in the. He he claims, mm. and it, and it seems credible that he was in the very room uh, where the Chilean constitution of Pinochet was drafted during the mid nineteen seventies, and with yeah. a, a constitution that was only overruled uh, last year when it was put to a plebiscite in Chile. So, the, yes. so you can yes. see the you, you can see the kind of long standing uh, influence and impact that certain. I, I don't want to say rogue, but certain. Uh, um, uh, so that certain hidden or secret aspects of the British foreign mm. policy apparatus can have um, uh, across Latin America. I mean, I guess some people might watching this evening might be thinking, well, what, what's the relevance to today of these revelations? But of course, we know that these sorts of activities are still going on. Um, Kit Clarenberg and Max Blumenthal. Uh, have exposed the role of the British uh, Foreign Office, another secretive, uh, shadowy organisation, uh, engaged in effectively regime change operations 
in uh, Russia with uh, the connivance of the BBC and uh, Reuters. This was exposed, as I say, uh, I think it was earlier this year or back end of last, I can't just recall which. But uh, so this is not a new phenomenon, is it? I mean, it's just been going on for some, for some time. And I think, you know, we sort of need to learn from history, I suppose, don't we? I don't know what you think about that, John. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly um, it's certainly ongoing. Um, when you mention <clears throat> when you mention some of Kit Clarenberg and Max Blumenthal's work uh, on that front as well, another inter interesting point is Reuters' uh, uh, involvement in propaganda operations in Chile. Uh, sorry, in mm. Chile, in in Syria. Now, when when mm. Max Blumenthal mm. pub published an article uh, demonstrating that the Reuters Foundation had been paid. Um, had been paid uh, by the British government uh, in order to run certain uh, information operations in Syria. You might recall that the the article actually came with a with a warning notice on Twitter saying that this mm. uh, this article may have been fed with information uh, that could have been uh, that could have been hacked. So you can mm. see how there's different different propagandistic elements. Uh, Reuters, uh, the Reuters Foundation. Uh, the British Foreign Office, as well as Twitter, a, multina a US multinational corporation, um, social mm. media corporation, can all <clears throat> can all uh, combine uh, in a way in a way that that, that complements British uh, foreign policy uh, operations. Mm. But as but but I mean, this isn't just a just uh, just an issue um, with regards to Syria or Libya or Russia, as you say. Um, this is this is also still ongoing in Latin America. Um, I mean, virtually on the, on the, one day before the 48th anniversary of the 9-11 coup in Chile, uh, the Chilean president, Sebastian Piñera, was in London to meet Boris Johnson. Um, and Piñera has overseen <clears throat> some inc incredibly brutal, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the crackdown on incredibly brutal protests uh, in Chile, especially in late 2019 and throughout 2020 as well. Um, there was record numbers of people being what seemed like deliberately shot in the eye. Um, hundreds of people lost their eyes. There was um, cases of yes, sexual abuse right. by, yeah. by the Chilean police, um, and a lot of this, uh, and a lot of this, um, this repression could could have very credibly been uh, sponsored by British arms sales. Uh, the British yeah. has been selling Chile crowd control, uh, crowd control equipment, um, small arms, um, mm. and a number of things that could have been used in the oppression against Chile. I mean, if we, if we talk about Venezuela or Brazil, uh, Britain is deeply involved in the coup effort, has been uh, since since January 2019, if not earlier, yeah. deeply involved in the coup yeah. efforts in Venezuela. And, I mean, Boris Johnson just two days ago met with Jair Bolsonaro, um, yeah. one of the only political leaders to meet with Jair Bolsonaro at the UN General Assembly in New York. Mm. Um, mm. Um, and yeah, but I mean, Britain was holding secret meetings with Bolsonaro even before the 2018 election. Um, yes, I saw that. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and just sort of shows the, the the extent of this kind of network, really. And, and I suppose as well, it's little surprising that there was such an operation mounted against Jeremy Corbyn, because here was a potential prime minister who was very committed to peace and disarmament. And we know that the Military industrial complex is very powerful, but arms sales are incredibly profitable. And you've just gone through some of them there. And clearly, there's no way they wanted somebody like that. And when you think the moves that were being made against Harold Wilson, and by comparison, uh, you know, his his sort of, you know, sort of raison d'etre was, was fairly modest compared to what Jeremy was, was talking about. But I mean, uh, what's your thoughts about the 
the, you know, the, the sort of moves that were made against Jeremy. And do you think there was any any sort of uh, Secret Service involvement in that? Oh, it, I mean, it's a great it's a great question. Um, just to briefly go back to the to the Wilson coup. I mean, a question was asked to the House of Lords just uh, two weeks ago, asking whether the files would be declassified about this mm. the kind of se the Secret Service plot against Wilson, yes. and they and they said yes. that these these files won't be won't be declassified for at least a century. Um, they said, you know, they said naturally we review it every twenty five years, but we won't. We, we, the plan is not to release any of the files for another century. So I mean, the, the issue is you yeah. something that occurred before I was born. It's likely that the files won't be declassified until after I'm dead. Oh, so okay, so yeah. we've got that kind of level of transparency within um. British so so much for so much for freedom of information, uh, John. Uh, um, but John, I know you've got to. I know you've got to leave uh, at uh, about to, well, about nowish really. And I just wondered if you could maybe conclude with uh, some comments about the the terrible, brutal repression that the Pinochet regime imposed. I mean, you talked about the the refugees, Chilean refugees that came to to Britain. I remember that actually. I'm old enough to 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 remember that and Chilean uh, refugees coming into to Derby, and it was it was one of the labour movements kind of finest hours. Really, they really rose to the challenge. I think. But just say a little bit about the the terrible brutality that was that was meted out to to people in Chile. Yeah, well, I mean, the the Pinochet dictatorship lasted for for seventeen years. It was one of the longer running dictatorships in Latin America in the Cold War period. Um, I mean, immediately after Pinochet came to power, um, hundreds of people were murdered. Um, I, I believe something like um, ten thousand people were victims of torture. Forty thousand people were arbitrarily detained. Um, so, I mean, you have a real, real widespread uh, culture of, of violence that, um, that erupted in Chile following the coup. Um, and also, also the economic system that, that Pinochet uh, instituted. Uh, it's, I mean, Chile is known as the birth where, where, where neoliberalism, sorry, where ne neoliberalism was born. Um, yes. Everyday costs rose like something ludicrous, like 900%. And people found it almost immediately harder to, to live. Uh, so you've also so you've got a kind of structural economic violence that accompanied a very um, a very brutal and repressive um, state violence. And I just want to add because you mentioned you mentioned um, it being one of one of British Labour Labour with the small L's finest hour. Um, I would I would recommend the film Nay Passaran, which is about a number of uh, Scottish uh, dock mm. workers who refused to yes. service uh, the Rolls Royce uh, engines yeah. that were passing through the docks. Um, is really it's really powerful, really interesting, um, really inspiring, inspiring, really inspiring. Yeah, film about about British solidarity with Chile. So I'd recommend that. And just very finally, John, I mean, you've written an extensive uh, uh, document about the uh, declassified uh, papers that you've been pouring over. Uh, could you just tell us uh, the viewers where they might be able to read that? I mean, I, I was reading it before we came on air today. It's quite a long read, but it's well worth it. It's incredibly fascinating. Could you just tell people how they can get hold of that? Yeah, sure. So there's a there's a very long, about eight thousand word piece recently published in the Contemporary British History Journal. It's an academic piece, but it's, I hope I hope it's fairly readable. Um, it is. I can read it. I can read it, John. So it is readable. <laughs> well, if I can if I can write it, then it should. But um, <laughs> well, I get between us. Yeah. Um. So so that's that's open access. That's available to anybody. But there's also a, a shorter version which was published about a year ago in Declassified UK with some of the information in that as well. So if you want a, a shorter piece, um, that's available too. Nice one.
Great stuff. Listen, John, thanks very much indeed for taking the time. I know you've got a meeting. You said you're here to be away for 25. Best apologies to, to viewers who would have liked to have put some questions and made some comments, I'm sure, because it's a fascinating uh, discussion. Perhaps maybe in sometime in the future, John, when you've got a bit more time, we could maybe return to it and perhaps have a wider conversation about the situation in Latin America, because you, know, you built up quite a significant expertise on that, if, you, if you'd be up for that. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to. Yeah, sounds good. Great. Okay, well, well, thanks again then, John, and thank you very much, everybody, for watching uh, this evening. It's a truncated uh, episode tonight, but we just want to conclude this evening's uh, programme uh, with a uh, clip of uh, Victor Jara. He was a, uh, a wonderful uh, folk musician, a strong supporter of IND, and uh, well-regarded, actually, throughout the world, and such was the brutality of the Pinochet regime, that uh, this man who was able to communicate through his music, through his songs, through his lyrics, uh, they tortured him, tortured him to death. They, they broke his fingers, they, they smashed his wrists, and then they shot him to death. And, you know, the labor movement we talked about uh, in the conversation there with John, how uh, it, it kind of rose to the occasion. And I was reading about the uh, uh, labor movement, how they hosted uh, uh, Victor's uh, Victor Jara's uh, partner uh, to uh, on a speaking tour. Incredibly difficult to listen to. Incredibly moving. She 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 was breaking down. You know, weeping as she was expla explaining. Uh, you know what had happened to him. How she saw his body uh, riddled with I think forty four uh, bullet wounds. Absolutely appalling. But such I think is the spirit of solidarity that this beautiful clip that we're going to show you now I think is is, is incredibly inspiring and. Uh, you know, despite what they did to Victor Jara, I think they, they say, as they, you'll see this in a moment, there's tens of thousands of people uh, are gathered uh, at this uh, this rally. And they say uh, words to the effect of, you know, they broke your hands, but, but Chile still sings your song. So let's play that clip and uh, be inspired at watching this. Uh, thanks for watching this evening and we'll see you next week.